0: Good morning, friends. Today is the day of Pentecost, and my message is titled, The Spirit Poured Out. My text today is from the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Now, this was written approximately 830 years B.C., And the prophet Joel predicted a day would come when God would pour out his spirit on all people. Joel 2.28 contains a direct promise from God, I will pour out my spirit. Let me break that sentence down for a moment. I, that's the sovereignty of God, will, the determination of God, pour out, the generosity of God, my spirit, the personality of God. This is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. This is how God ignites kingdom life in his people. He pours out his spirit on them, and they're never, ever the same again. And friends, when God promises to pour out the spirit, this is more than just a trickle or a few drops. It means that God plans to release the floodgates of heaven into the human heart. and No man can do this on his own. Now, as some of you know, I can preach or talk for hours, but I cannot pour out God's spirit upon you. This is not the result of membership in a local church life. This is what this is God doing what only God can do. We must individually go to God for this outpouring and he must come to us with the power of his spirit. Unless that happens, we will never be changed. And when that does happen, we will never be the same again. So this morning, let's again consider this amazing promise of the spirit from five different perspectives. Here's the first one. This is a promise for the last days. When Joel records the promise, he uses the phrase, and afterward, in verse 28, to indicate that the blessing of God's Spirit comes after God's judgment on the unbelieving people of Judah. Now, 800 years later, Peter quotes Joel 2 at the beginning of his magnificent sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon the early disciples, they began to speak with other tongues, declaring the Lord's greatness in languages that they did not know. Now, if you read the story, you know that some people looked on and thought these guys were drunk. But Peter said, that's impossible. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early to be drunk. And then Peter gave the right explanation. What happened in Jerusalem that day was a fulfillment of what Joel had predicted eight centuries earlier. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, the King James version of that verse is even plainer. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, I don't know if you caught the difference. Not this is what, but rather this is that. What Joel predicted has now started to come true. And on the day of Pentecost, people began to pour out his spirit on all people, just as he said he would. When Peter quotes Joel, he changes one part of the quotation. Now, where Joel said afterwards, Peter says, in the last days. Now, in the New Testament, the last days refers to the entire period of time, starting with Pentecost and ending with the second coming of Jesus back to this world. Pentecost inaugurates the last days. It marks the start of the final chapter of human history. It it does not matter that the last days have already lasted for 2,000 plus years. It doesn't count time that way. I mean, think of it this way. When Joel predicted, what Joel predicted in 830 B.C., Peter says has come to fulfillment in 33 A.D., and that fulfillment continues in the 2,000 years since then and will not be complete until Jesus returns to this earth. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that you cannot really understand Joel 2 and Acts 2 apart from God's great purpose to empower his people with the Spirit so that they will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that very plainly, it says you will receive power. Now that Greek word is dunamis, dynamite. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, that word is martyr, martira, which is martyr in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. Now, friends, understand God never pours out his spirit simply for the purpose of entertaining us or to cause strange emotional manifestations. Those may happen on occasion, but that's beside the point. God pours out his spirit so that we will be bold witnesses for Jesus, starting where We are and going to the very ends of the earth. Now, if someone ever says, are we living in the last days? The answer will always be yes, because the last days started 2000 plus years ago. And as we have come even closer to the return of Jesus, we can also believe that we may be living in the literal last days before the coming of the Lord. Now, here's our second thought. This is a promise for all people, because sin lives in our flesh That's where we fight our spiritual battles. Here the Lord promises to send his spirit at the very point of our personal weakness. I mean, Do you struggle with certain sins that cause you to feel unworthy of the Lord? But God promises to pour out his spirit in the very place where you struggle. It's as if we say, Lord, I'm too big a sinner to receive your spirit. And the Lord says, you are indeed a sinner, but my grace is far greater than your sin. And understand this, friends. He not only forgives us in Jesus... But he also sends his spirit to help us walk with him. I don't know. That's a humbling, exalting thought. He doesn't say to your strength, I will add my strength. But on your flesh with all of its weakness, I will pour out my spirit. And notice also that he promises to pour out his spirit on all people. I mean, Pentecost means that the spirit is no longer given only to spiritual leaders in Israel. Uh, The spirit now indwells everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Well, again, let's stick in in the Old Testament for a moment. If you read Numbers chapter 11, it records a very remarkable story from the days when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And because the Jews continually complained to Moses, he became exasperated and told the Lord he, he couldn't lead these people anymore. That's in verse 14 of that chapter. Now, God responds by telling Moses to call 70 of Israel's elders to come to the tent of meeting where he, that's God, Would take the spirit that was upon Moses and put that same spirit upon the seventy elders so that they could help Moses lead the people. And when the Spirit came upon those laymen, they began to prophesy before the Lord. Now this means that they publicly praised the name of of God. It was it was like preaching, but it was more than that. The Spirit so filled them that all seventy men began to praise the Lord together. Now that must have been quite a scene. However, two of the elders remained in the camp and didn't go to the tent of meeting. Their names were Eldad and Medad. And even though they stayed behind, the Spirit came upon them, and they began prophesying in the midst of the camp, which no doubt shook up everybody. Now, a young boy ran to Moses and told him what was happening. And before he could say anything, Joshua spoke up and urged Moses to make Eldad and Medad stop prophesying. I mean, Joshua thought things were spinning a little bit out of control. I mean, if Moses didn't take a firm hand, you'd have ordinary people standing up and prophesying left and right, and you couldn't have that. But instead of telling the two men to stop, Moses said to Joshua, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And this is exactly what Joel was predicting that a day would come when all God's people would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Put it this way, what Moses wished for, what Joel predicted, what Peter explained, is now available to every believer. That's really the whole point of this text. I mean, don't make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit's power is only for, you know, super religious professionals. I mean, the promise is for you, friends. It's not just for somebody who graduated from a seminary. I mean, you don't have to go to Bible college to experience the Holy Spirit's power. You don't even have to expand. You don't have to pass an exam in Greek or Hebrew. I wish they'd told me that when I was at the seminary. And we should just say, with Moses, would that all God's people were prophets? Now, I think some people have figured this out better than we have. They understand that the church belongs to the people, not to the leaders, and that the true work of the ministry belongs to the people themselves. And I pray all the time that the Lord would hasten the day when every person who hears my voice speaks boldly in public and in the power of the Spirit to testify about Jesus. But what holds us back? What is it in our tradition that has locked us into ourselves and kind of imprisoned us in solitary, solitary confinement? I mean, why in the name of Pentecost are we so reluctant to speak of God when the opportunity is given us in the church and outside the church? Now, I don't know why, but I do know this. It is not the Spirit of God that seals our lips and makes us think that praise and exhortation is somehow a private affair. Well, here's my third point. This is a promise for all groups. Joel says in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit does not discriminate. We are the ones who do. You know, we have our own little groups and we tend to stay in these groups. We hang out with people who are like us in some way or another. We tend to associate with those who think like us, act like us, dress like us, talk like us, walk like us, speak like us, look like us. I mean, we we divide ourselves by age and race and sex and skin color and. Language and culture and clothing and education and housing and income and ethnic origin and national origin. We divide and then we divide again. We are so good at it that we actually do it without thinking. We kind of gravitate to what somebody people what somebody calls PL, PLU, people like us. And then we do not hang out with people who are not like us, who don't fit our profile. <clears throat> now, God's not like that. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of sex. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of age. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of social class. He said, even on my servants, I will pour out my spirit. And the word servants translates a Hebrew word that means slaves. I mean, God doesn't pick his friends only from the better parts of town. He hangs out with anyone who will hang out with him. He will be friends with anyone who wants to be friends with him. And when it comes to pouring out his spirit, he doesn't favor the rich or the famous. Uh, He's perfectly willing to pour out his spirit on the poorest of the poor. Our our God does not play favorites. Now, I completely understand why some young people get turned off by all of the machinery of the modern church. The fact that young people get turned off by what I would call churchianity is a good sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. It's a good thing when they come to church, look around and say, you know, we could do better than this. And this is, that's part of the vision that God gives to every new generation. And I felt that way years ago about the church I attended when I was a teenager. But that's not the whole story. God also says that old men will dream dreams. They dream because their work on earth is almost done, and I'm in that category. And because they're not really afraid to die, they're now free to dream big dreams of what God might do after they're gone. You know, as men and women pass their 70th year and move towards 75 or then 80 or 85, I think they're increasingly free of the earthly burdens they carried for so many decades. That freedom often gives birth to the big dreams from the Lord. And I've got to tell you, I am so happy these days to be a part of groups that are dreaming big dreams for Jesus. I mean, it's good to be around old men who dream dreams because they keep the rest of us from kind of settling into the rut of mediocrity. Now, if you want to find the real action in the church today, you need to go out to the generational edges, uh, to the young and to the old. I think they have visions and dreams of what God wants to do in his church. And by young, I don't know, as anybody under my age, but maybe 30 or maybe even 20. And by old, I'm talking about 65 or old. That's kind of where the action is. It's the generation in the middle sometimes that gives us so many problems. See, the young have visions because they do not know any better. And the old dream dreams because their work is mostly done. And I think we need the energy of both the young and the faith of the old if the church is to be all God wants it to be. Now, while surfing the Internet, which is, by the way, a form of sermon prep, I came upon a statement by one of the leaders of the emergent church. And uh, when asked what the church of the future will need in order to be successful, he said, quote, retired missionaries may become a huge asset To the emerging church. End of quote. Now that strikes me as a hugely important statement that goes right along with the spirit of Joel, too. I mean, retired missionaries, and I gotta tell you, missionaries don't really retire, but they've spent decades all over the world executing the culture, trying to figure out how to explain the gospel in ways that people can understand. And I think it'd be a great thing if the younger leaders would partner with the retired missionaries who still have a burning heart to see God do great things in the world today. Now, one final point, and we're going to move on. These dreams and these visions of Joel 2 and Acts 2 are not given by God simply for our personal enjoyment or in order to make us feel closer to God. I mean, in the Bible, um, God gave dreams and visions at crucial moments in history in order to advance his cause on the earth. And when Paul saw a vision of the man from Macedonia, in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, it was a missionary call, come over and help us. The dreams and visions we need today are not about how to make more money or how we can shake the world with the good news, but rather, but how we can shake the world with the good news of Jesus. The question is, what would happen if everybody who hears me is so touched so deeply by the Holy Spirit that it changed the entire direction of their lives? You know, it puts a burden inside of me to pray that God would remove any blockages that would prevent him from pouring out his spirit in such a way, not only in my church, but in all churches. Indeed, right now, I have a kind of a sense that this is something the Lord wants us to do in the next couple of years. And I'm so very thankful to be a part of a, a group right now that's talking very fervently about a mission church, a mission church in an area of our community that I think definitely needs to hear the word of God. And that doesn't mean that the, every place in our community doesn't need the word of God. They all do. But this is a different kind of ministry. Well, fourth, this is the promise of coming judgment. In Joel 2, 30 and 31, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, you know, we might be tempted to skip these verses or to think that they're not connected or somehow do not apply to us. But that would be a mistake. These verses describe a series of cataclysmic events just before the second coming when Jesus returns to judge the earth. Now these verses were not fulfilled in Joel's day, they were not fulfilled on Pentecost, they have not yet been fulfilled. Now these verses can be literally fulfilled in the in the days just preceding the coming of Jesus to the earth when the world will be racked by war on a scale unprecedented in human history. I mean the attacks on 9/11, their terrorist attacks, or what's going on in Israel, in the Hamas today, are going to probably sing tiny by comparison to, you know, what's going to happen on earth before our Lord returns. It's a picture of the wrath of God that will cover the earth in judgment. And it's not easy or natural for us to think of God in these terms. And we'd like to think of our Father who art in heaven has matured. We'd like to think that he's learned to control his temper and overlook sin. But friends, i got to tell you, it helps to remember that the Bible writers did not shrink from using fear as a proper motivation and i'm going to suggest you that true preaching always involves the negative we cannot preach the god of love if we don't also preach the god who judges and punishes sinners if we don't preach the truth of god's judgment we present a warped gospel to the world that cannot save the lost and fifth this is the promise of free salvation joel 2:32, and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved See, this is the flip side of the previous truth. If God were to judge sinners, and he will, he also invites them to be saved from their sin. I mean, this text is so crucial that it appears in the Bible three times. Once in Joel 2.28, once in Acts 2.21, and once in Romans 10.13. God always intended to make a universal gift offer of salvation through his, the death and resurrection of his son. The outpouring of the Spirit means the offer of salvation now goes to every person on earth remember that everyone means everyone. It includes those po- poor souls who live in the slums of Calcutta or in Haiti and Port-au-Prince. It includes the super-rich whose lives we read about and hear about all the time on the news. It has to do with the culture and the illiterate. They're both offered free salvation. The prostitute, uh, the movie stars can be saved. It certainly includes those who are regarded as odd or strange or eccentric It reaches out to take in the sick, the weak, the disabled, the discouraged, the hopeless, and even the dying. No one is excluded. So my question is, do you want to go to heaven? (laughs) I hope you say, yeah. Well, just call on the name of the Lord. And how do you do that? Well, very simply, believe that in the God revealed in the Bible. Believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I mean, cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. And friends, I can can assure you that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I mean, that's God's promise. And I'd say don't wait or hesitate or put it off if you've done so, so far in your life. Make sure that you yourself are going to heaven. If you cry out to Jesus' name, you'll be heard. God won't turn you away. Now I know it's always easy to find reasons why God will not do something. But as I pointed out earlier, the young and the old have something to teach us about that. You know, God is more willing to pour out his spirit than we are to receive his outpouring. The problem is never with God. It's always with us. God has more he wants to do in our our midst. There are new adventures in store for us if we just uh, catch the wave of the spirit. But someone may say, in the last days, hard times will come. Yeah, that's true. And in many ways, hard times are already here. But God also declares in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised if the last days will be days of trouble and blessing mixed together. I mean, it's been that way always for God's people. And it'll be the same way until Jesus comes again. I mean, terrorists may strike again and they probably will. God says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. The love of many will grow cold, but God says, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. Christians will be persecuted in many places, and yet God says, I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. See, when God's spirit is poured out, the result will be a church filled with passion and zeal and enormous spiritual power. God is going to ignite kingdom passion in every heart. And I got to tell you, I want to be part of that. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines watching the action. See, in the midst of trouble or destruction or terrorism or natural disasters or false religions or moral decline, all of the nonsense that seems to be going on in our world today, God still says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. Now, back during the days of the Refor- Reformation, Luther's time, many churches adopted simpler Reformanda as their motto. Semper Reformanda means always reforming. The church of Jesus is to be reformed and always reforming. And that's a good word for us today. We have not yet arrived, and God is not done with us yet. And may God pour out his spirit in our midst, and we all gladly say, O Lord, begin with me. Semper Reformanda. Always reforming. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.